0: This morning, I want to take you back a little bit. I mean, way, way, way back. I want to go back and revisit our days in elementary school, okay? You guys remember that place? Elementary is that place that you you learned, uh, you know, the the basics of of life and learning. You learned your ABCs, you learned your numbers, you learned how to write, how to read, those kind of things. But uh, we also, in elementary school, is where many of us learned the basics as far as critical thinking go, uh, kind of like this, right? What do I have here? So this morning, so I've got uh, I've got a orange and a banana, orange and a banana. So real quick, you just shout out participatory this morning. Uh, what do these things have in common? They're fruits, right? What else? You have to peel them, right? You have to peel them, right? Anything else? How do they taste? Pretty, pretty good. They're sweet, right? Sweet. So, so th- those are uh, those are their similarities. Now, we actually call that comparison, right? Call that comparison. Now, talk to me about how these things are different. Colors are different. One is yellow. One's orange. The shape is different. Somebody said the flavor is different, right? One citrus and one's not. Okay, guys, that, that's great. You know, and, and, and you realize we actually use the same. Type of thinking uh, to make both comparison and what we just did there, where we listed the differences, was, was contrast. Comparison and contrast, we use the same observation skills. We're, we're looking at them from outside. We're talking about them from what we know. We're using our, our senses, our, our, our sight, and our taste, and our touch, and our smell. And, uh, and, and we're making observations about these fruit. One was comparison, what they had in common, and one was contrast, right? Similar skills, but uh, similar types of ad, uh, observations, but vastly different. Now, what if I told you a story, I'm going to lay these out here, about a banana and an orange, and a gala apple, and a Granny Smith apple. Okay? I can't even hold all this. I'm going to tell you a story about all these types of fruit. Now, now imagine that I was going to tell you a story, and I was going to tell you a story about a banana, and an orange, and a gala apple, and a Granny Smith apple, and I was going to tell you that story. And as I told you that story, the only observational skill you used in that was, was you picked up on the comparisons, right? And so as I told the story, all you're thinking about is how all these things are fruit, how they all taste good, how they're all sweet in nature. Now, now you might, if that's all you were thinking about, you might actually miss the point of my story, especially if my story was not meant to point out the things they had in common, but instead the point of my story was to talk about their differences. Do you see how far off we could be? We're using the same skill set, we're just interpreting it in the wrong fashion. Well, guys, when we come to Luke 18, a lot of people have made that very mistake. Jesus tells a couple of stories, and specifically in the first one, many people have read that story, and they've only thought about the things that they have in common. And they've never looked, instead of the comparison, they've never looked at it through the lens of contrast which is the lens that Jesus intended for it to be looked at. So this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to study God's Word, and we're going to take it as it was meant, uh, and we're going to try to look at a parable on prayer that I think many of us have misunderstood. Okay, So before we get there, join me in a word of prayer. You guys close your eyes so I can eat breakfast, okay? All right. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being good. We love you, Lord, and we want to ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would meet with us. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher of this church, and we invite you now to take your proper place as our teacher and our guide. Teach us the ways of Jesus from the inside out. Jesus, be lifted up and draw us unto yourself. In your name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. i in Luke 18, starting in verse 1. We're going to read all the way through 14. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm going to share three things with you this morning about these two parables. And here's the first. I want you to understand this morning, because because God is our Father and we always have an audience with Him, we must continue praying and trusting Him to act. Because God is our Father and we always have an audience with Him, we must continue praying and trusting Him. Him to act. Two parables on prayer told to two different audiences. The first audience is the disciples, right? These are Jesus' followers. And and, and Luke says that Jesus told them this parable on purpose. And and he even states the purpose. He told them this parable, right, uh, that they might always or continually pray and not give up. Jesus knows that we're prone to giving up. He says, so I, Jesus tells them this parable on prayer and, and he tells them this parable on prayer with the purpose that they would always pray and not give up. Now that's the part we can't argue. That's, that's there. Uh, it's put before us plainly. Now here's where the confusion sets in for many. It's verse two through eight where Jesus goes on. He tells this parable, this story about an unjust judge and a persistent widow. And there's some things that he notes here. I've made some slides for you. These are the things that Jesus says about this judge. He says this judge is a guy that's completely unjust, which is strange for a judge, right? I mean, his job is is to to dole out justice, but he is completely unjust, the text says. It says he doesn't fear God, right? It says he doesn't care about men, and, and it also says he doesn't want to get worn out by this widow. Okay, so he knows his limitations. This lady's getting on his mind, getting on his nerves, and he's like, "That's it. I'm going to be done. I, I, I'm going to do something before she absolutely wears me out." That's what we hear about the judge, and then Jesus talks about the widow. She's the other primary uh, person in, in in his little story, and uh, and this is what we know about the widow. She has no position in society. Her husband is gone. Okay, she's a woman. Uh, we're, we're, we're to kind of take that she's a Jewish woman. She's not going to have any place uh, or position in society. Uh, she has no protector. Again, uh, the husband in this culture would have been her protector, would have been her provider. Uh, so she has none of that. Because of her status, she has no power. She has no power to force a judge. She has no power to to even get an audience, uh, which is the last point. She has no audience. She has no audience with this judge. And, and so we're actually to take that she's coming to this judge probably in private because she can't get before him in court. And she keeps coming to him in private saying, listen, I, I, I want you to hear my case. I, I, I want you to listen. I'm pleading with you. Uh, it's kind of kind of the picture that is presented, and then Jesus shifts gears, and he, and he, and he shifts from this unjust judge and this widow, uh, then to talking about God and His chosen ones, right? About God and His His chosen ones. Now, now here's the problem. See, if we read this story through the lens of comparison, then we are only left with one option. If we read this story, this parable, through the lens of comparison, there's only one option. God has to be the judge. And we have to be the widow, right? If if we read this story like many have through the lens of comparison, then God is is the judge, which makes him, by the way, unjust, right? I mean, think of all the things that it makes. It says he doesn't care about God and doesn't care about... It doesn't make sense. So so this can't be through a lens of comparison. So therefore, that means that, that God is not an unjust judge, and we are not the widows, which is a big deal. So Jesus intends for his audience to uh, see this as, as an issue of contrast. And he's contrasting the differences between the two parties. So, so listen, let's talk about God. God is not like the unjust judge. That's his point. The point Jesus is making is God's not like that. God is not unjust, right? Who, who is God? God is a loving father. This guy doesn't care about God, he doesn't care about men, he doesn't care about justice, but God does. God is a loving Father, right? God cares about us deeply. God cares about you, he cares about your hurt, he cares about your pain, he cares about your fears. He cares about your struggles in life. God cares about you deeply because you're his child. Lastly, God never grows weary of us which is really amazing as a parent, I got to say, right? I've shared with you guys like I have a time which I'm really struggling cuz during the school year 8:30, don't talk to me anymore if you're my child, right? I love you. If you forgot something, it's too late, the deadline is passed, go to bed. I've already kissed you, I've told you to go to bed, I've told you how much I love you. I don't want to see you anymore. Don't get up for water. Don't tell me you're hungry. I need a little time without you. I love you. I love you. I just want a little time without you. And now summer has come and the kids are already like, Dad, we're out of school. Copeland's out of school a, a week early. And so they're like, hey, we're, we're out of school. We can stay up later. So now that time is gone. And now now it's like, well, you can't say that now. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm so confused. God's not like that, though. God doesn't grow weary of us. He never grows weary of us, right? So, so the point Jesus is making is God is not like the unjust judge. That means something for us too, because that means we're not like the widow either, right? We are not like the widow. Let's talk about us for a second, okay? We are not like the widow because, get this, we have a position in Christ, right? She had no position, but we do. We are sons, and we are daughters of God, right? We're, We're not alone, She was a widow. She had nobody. She didn't have a protector, but we do. We have a protector and a guide, somebody that has sealed us, right? We can't be touched by the enemy. We might be harmed in this world, but he can't strip away our salvation. I am sealed in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, right? We have a protector. I'm not bankrupt. This woman had no resources. She had no ability, but I'm not bankrupt. I have every resource in heaven and earth has been given unto me in Christ, right? He says all authority has been... Been given unto me. Therefore, I say to you, like Jesus gives us his authority. I'm not powerless. I, I have the very authority of Christ. And I always have an audience with God because I'm his son. Amen. Now listen, 830 rolls around in the house and I have my rule, right? Like, oh. But you know what? Those kids always have an audience with me. Even when I say, I'm like, go to bed. And they look at me and say, but dad, come sit down. Yes, you can have some water. I'm a big softy. I really am. We always have an audience with God. God is not the unjust judge and we are not the widow. That is the point that Jesus is trying to make. This is one of his how much more or how much greater parables. It's a parable of contrast. And the point that Jesus is making is that we should never give up. That we should never give up on anything. We should keep praying because we are important to God. Because God has a Father's heart and we are His children, we should never quit praying because we have an audience with God, because God loves us, because God hears us, and ultimately God will act. So, in the words of the immortal band, Journey, don't stop believing. (laughs) Don't stop believing. Keep praying. Keep praying. God is not unjust. You have an audience, all right? Number two. As we study these two parables, we learn this lesson, that prayer should never be prideful, pious, or focused on pointing out others' faults. Prayer should never be proud, should never be pious, and it should never be focused on pointing out other people's faults. False. So the first parable is told to an audience. It's told to the disciples. The second parable is told to a different audience, and and, and we're we're kind of inclined to believe that that audience is the Pharisees, according to verse nine, right? Verse 9, it says to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. That sounds like the Pharisees. Like Jesus doesn't say Pharisees, but we're pretty sure that's the group that Jesus... Because that's who he's been talking to. Like, like, Like for the last three chapters of Luke, it's been... Jesus talks to the disciples, he talks to the Pharisees, he talks to the disciples, so we're pretty sure these are the Pharisees. And so Jesus tells uh, this parable to this group of people, he says, two men go up to the temple to pray. And then he talks about a Pharisee, again, why we think the audience is Pharisees, and and, and then he talks about a tax collector. Okay, And so again, he, he says some things, and so let's just break it down. This is what's said about the Pharisee, right? Uh, first of all, he he's proud. He, he walks right into the temple, he takes his typical place, he's standing, typically they would stand, palms raised to God, head facing heaven, and, uh, and and he would begin to pray. In this case, I don't know that he's praying as much as he's talking to God about how good he is, right? He, he's not praying, he's talking about himself, right? Imagine walking into church and, 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 and myself or Alan stepping up to the pulpit and saying, Dear God, I'm so glad I crushed it this week. I, I I called twenty two people and prayed with them and I lived such a righteous life. Every time that, that I saw an ad that I could click on and go I never did, Lord, not one time. I bounced my eyes every time someone was dressed inappropriately and I took every thought captive for you, Jesus. I, I fasted five days this week. I mean I mean you would go, come on, get over it, dude. By the way, I didn't do any of that, okay? I love you. I tried to do that. I mean, tried. I'm just saying. I I I definitely did not fast this week. I went to my mom's house, and I am feeling it. Uh, This guy's proud. He stands up and he's just boasting. He's just talking about how good he is, right? And he's pious. What does pious mean? It means he's really religious. That's what pious means. He's he, this guy is super re- religious, and, and, and he lists two things here that are that are completely over and and above the law. He, he says I, I fast uh, twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. You, you've heard the parable where, where, where he's talking about the Pharisee that that that, that ties even his mint and his. That's the kind of thing we're talking this guy saying listen, I, I tithe even the most minutest things uh, in, in, in my life it, Like it's over and above what the law requires and then and then this fasting twice a week You know that the law only required them to fast one time a year on the day of atonement So here is this man. going, listen. Look at me. God look at me man. I am good. I'm good You say I only have to fast once a year dude. I'm standing in your presence and I fast twice a week. I'm good I am good, I'm good, I'm good. He is proud, he is pious, and here's the other thing we see about it. His his prayer is not just focused on how good he is. The other part of his prayer is he wants to point out everybody else's faults to God, as if God isn't big enough to see them, right? God, I'm so thankful I'm not like these other people, these evildoers those that are out there committing adultery, those that aren't going to church, those that you can almost hear him start naming off these people, like like that man over there, that evil tax collector. He's totally focused on pointing out other people's faults. That's one man's prayer. Of course, that is, again, contrasted with the prayer of another man, tax collector. Totally different. Pharisee walks into the temple, head out high, chest solid, hands outstretched, looking towards heaven. The tax collector doesn't even go near the temple, he stands off at a distance. He won't look up to heaven, he's looking down. He begins to beat his chest, sign of remorse of hurt, of deep hurt, of feeling something in your heart that you can't do anything with. He's beating his chest. And he prays one of the most simple prayers in all of the Bible, right? And in that prayer, he confesses his own sin and he asks God for mercy. God, have mercy on me for I am a sinner. One thanks God for his own self-righteousness and the other realizes he's a sinner in need of a savior and according to Jesus it is the sinner that is hurt. You want a real quick prayer you can pray every day? I, I, I mean for one of those like you are pressed for time, prayer change your life kind of thing. You can take out all the unnecessary words in that prayer that he prayed and we can knock it down to four words. You can pray this prayer every day. Ready? God, mercy, me, sinner. You'll have a righteous prayer life. Just pray that every day and see if it doesn't radically change what you think about God and what you think about yourself, what you think about other people. Really. It's where that ends up. God mercy me sinner. See and confess your sins before God first. See and confess your sins before God first. Instead of focusing on the sins of others. Okay. Number three. Don't miss this part. God raises up. And renders righteous everyone who sees his own sin and cries out for mercy. God raises up and renders righteous everyone who sees his own sin and cries out for mercy. One man prays to God all about his own goodness and he goes home just as he came. I'm going to say that again. One one man prays to God all about his own goodness and he goes home just as he came. The other man prays to God about all of his own sin and he goes home just as if he'd never sinned. One prays about his own goodness and he goes home just as he came. The other prays about his own sin and he goes home just as if he had never sinned. The word in the Bible is justified. He goes home justified. It means rendered. It means declared righteous. It means declared just as if you had never sinned ever. He goes home justified, but not just justified. It also says he goes home exalted. Exalted. The word means to, to raise up, and not just to raise up a wee little bit, right? You know what exalted means? It means to be raised up to the summit. Up to the peak that is exalted, God will exalt those that humble themselves. He will He will raise them up to to the summit. I'm ask some questions this morning. Anybody here? You don't have to raise hands. All right, doesn't have to be confession time. I mean, we're in church. It'd be terrible. If we confessed in church. In your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, you can just answer these questions. Anyone here been feeling like you're in a valley? Maybe it's not a valley. Maybe you know where you are. Anybody here been feeling like you're in a pit? It's probably a better way to put it. Ask this second question. Anyone here been asking God for justice of others? Somebody's harmed you. You've been talking to God about that person that's harmed you. You want justice. You, You want God to bring them down to your level. If you haven't been there, like you you probably don't have flesh on your bones. Right? I and mean, that, that is a that is a that is a gut check, and it's hard to admit in church. I've been there. God, I, I, I feel like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And look at this person that is harming me. And they seem to be like, everything is fine, God. And I want justice. And you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, I want you to take them off of that little happy pedestal where they don't feel anything. And I want them to feel what I feel. I want you to bring them down where I am. That's the prayer, right? It's not pretty, but it's honest. Maybe you're here this morning, you've prayed that way. And so I want to ask you one more question. Can I make a suggestion? Preaching to myself, if it applies to you, God bless you. What if we stop praying about them? And instead we choose to just see our own sin before God. What if we just return to Jesus and we say, Lord, I am sorry for I have been focused on them and I haven't seen me. I haven't seen my need for you. I've been so focused on how they hurt me. God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. You know what God will do with that kind of person? According to this passage, he will exalt them. He will pull them out of the pit. Isn't it funny that pit and pity, pretty much the same words. Maybe that's where you've been. It says he will exalt them, he will pull them out of their pit, out of their pity. He will exalt them. He will lift them up to, to the summit, to, to the mountaintop, which is where we want to be. Some of you have been trying to climb out of that pit on your own. You've thought, if I just work harder, if I just pray harder about justice, if I just do A, B, or C more often, meanwhile, you've been looking at this other person... They seem to be fine. It just angers you, right? You've been mad. You've been hurt. You just want justice. And you're stuck. So let me just be honest with you as as your pastor. I I know exactly how you feel because I have been camping out there. Not only have I been camping out there, I'm pretty sure I purchased the property. I really do. I I think I bought it. I bought it. I renamed it. it. It's literally Jason's pity party place where we come and we pray for justice for those that are being jerks to us. I know it's a long title, but it's a work in progress, okay? I have seen the sin of the others first instead of talking to God about mine. And it is a dark place to be. I want to challenge you to join me and to get out of it. To cut it out. Here's the great thing about God. God is just. He can never not be. God says, vengeance is mine. It belongs to Him. There is no need for me to point. God didn't miss anything. And I act like he did. But God, look at this person. Did you know what they've done to me? Don't you know? Hey, how, 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 how is it that they're here? And God says, listen. They may be like the rich man who, who dined every day while he was alive. And then he suffered in agony for eternity while Lazarus was at Abraham's side. That may be their call. And who are you to tell me that that's not okay? My name is just. And vengeance belongs to me. See your sin first. See your sin first. Beautiful promise. If you'll humble yourself, if you'll see your sin, God will pull you out of it. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. So what do, we, what do we do? How do we apply these two parables in our lives? Uh, first, I would challenge you to act like you have an audience, right? I mean, act like you have an audience with God. You're his child, right? Why does Jesus tell the first parable? So that you will pray and not give up. So that you'll keep coming to God as father. So that you'll run like a child and leap into his arms. Like that's the point of the, the whole first parable. So act like it. Pray like a child of God. And you know, one of the things I love about children's prayers. And listen, I, I know there are people that will tell you, you, you know, you, you should only pray um, for, what, for, for God's will. And I, listen, I get it. I, I, I've read the Bible. I know it. I know what it says. It says sometimes I don't have because I don't ask. I know that says, sometimes I don't have because when I do ask, I ask with the wrong motives. And I've met some Christians that are so afraid of asking with the wrong motives that they've stopped asking. Do you know the things my kids ask me? Do you want to know how many times they ask me for things with the wrong motives? you know what I'm saying? That God gives us that as a reflection to remind us like, hey, I'm father. I get it. I know you guys. You're going to ask with the wrong motives. I've just told you in my word that sometimes when you don't get it, it's because you ask with the wrong motives. Sometimes it's because you're in a sugar phase and you want some more, right? I mean, sometimes, but guess what? Even sometimes when you ask with the wrong motives, I'll give it just because I'm good. Because I'm good. God wants you to ask. You know what? I, I, I would tell you this, friends. It would be better for you to be in the habit of asking and occasionally asking with wrong motives than to not ask at all. Can I just say that to you? It would be better for you to ask God for everything than to be so worried about motives that you don't ask him for anything. Does that make sense? Could we just trust that God, as Father, is going to do its best and we can just run to him and ask? Amen? I think it could radically change the prayer culture of the church. Radically change the prayer culture of the church. I'm not talking our church. I mean the church, alright? To I really want to challenge you to focus on your sin first. Focus on your sin first. This is the key to getting out of the pit. This is the key to getting out of, of your pity. God exalts. He justifies that those that confess their sin and cry out for mercy. Right? So I, I, just, I challenge you this week. Focus on your sin first. God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I need saving. Forgive me for the thoughts that I have had. Forgive me. Because I'm acting like I'm perfect, and I have so far to go. Right? Focus on our sin first. Lastly, uh, say this, leave justice to the Lord. Leave justice to the Lord. Now listen, uh, I'm not talking about fighting for widows and orphans and that kind of justice stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. Like, like we clearly are called, and this is true, pure religion, right? To take care of widows and orphans. To, when we talk about justice in the world and, and bringing about causation and change, we, we stand in the gap for those that can't, can't stand, right? We speak up for those that don't have a voice. That's part of our calling in life. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that justice that you want because somebody's hurt you. That, that one, the thing that got you in the pit in the first place. That's the thing I want to talk to you about. You've got to leave that to God. You've got to figure out a way to trust If God is just, right, and we believe he is, amen, right? Okay, if, if, if God is just and he is true and he says clearly, vengeance is mine, right? Like we have to trust that at some point. So you can either continue to have the pity party and to feel like somebody has hurt you and harmed you, and just like the Pharisee, to keep praying to God, God, don't you see what they've done? And and in essence, that's what we're praying. We're saying, God, look at every... They've done this, and they've done that, and they've done this. Meanwhile, it's God going, what, are you not a sinner? Right? Because if we don't confess our sins, we can't be forgiven. If we don't forgive others, we can't be forgiven. That's in the Bible. So we have to get to this point that we say, God, I believe that you are just. And I'm done. I'm not even going to talk to you about them anymore. Because what I realize is I need help. Help me with my sin. Help me with my struggle. I will trust in you. Friends, there is freedom there. And it's not easy. It flies in the face of everything that our world says is right. And, and I'll be honest, for some of you, this is, it's, it, I would love to say it's a magic one-time prayer. It'd be great. It'd be great. If I, if I could share with you, like, man, here's, here's how good it is. You just pray this one time, and you'll never struggle with those thoughts again. I would be lying to you. Sometimes you're going to pray it 50 times a day. God, mercy. me. Me, sinner. Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. Pray that you would change us right now. Please. Pray that you would change us right now, please. Somebody here is hurting because they've been hurt by somebody else. And they feel like they are stuck and they've been that way for a long, long time. They feel stuck this morning because they have been so focused on the sins of others that they have forgotten to just come before you and ask for mercy. Today, I believe you want to change their hearts. And today, I believe you want them to experience the promise that comes with a humble heart. That if we'll confess our sins, you will forgive us of our sins, and you will purify us of all unrighteousness. You will lift us up out of the pit. And so this morning, that's my prayer. I pray you'd call us up. Please, Jesus. your name I ask these things. Amen. Just keep your heads bowed for a second in a spirit of prayer. Just a confession to God. Confession to God. Say, uh, Say this morning, God, I, 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 uh, I. This has been my struggle, Lord. Anybody? This has been my struggle, Lord. I've been so focused on those that have hurt me. Been so focused on those that have hurt me that I have not been thinking about my own sin. Anybody? Just raise your hand. So, yeah, that's me. That's my, that's my, struggle this morning. Okay, Amen. There's more than, more than just a few. Anybody else? Just say, Yeah, I'm struggling there, Lord. This morning, I'm struggling. Doesn't seem right okay maybe this morning it's just been too long since you've confessed your sin before God could we just have that this morning just a very simple prayer don't stand up don't raise your chest or your head to heaven instead just lower yourself as much as you can there in the pew you can lean on the pew in front of you whatever you need to do. Lower your heart. And would you just pray this very simple prayer this morning? God, have mercy on me. I am the greatest of sinners. Me. Could you believe that about yourself this morning? God, I am the greatest of sinners. Me. Forgive me. Lord, just pray that prayer to him right now. Forgive me, Lord. Have mercy. Have mercy. Amen.